We're not doing this to replace humans or replace talent or replace, it's to amplify human talent and productivity. And uh, we can get this in balance. We don't want it to overcome us. We don't want it to ride over us. We want it to be in balance. There is probably nothing that has popped into the public conversation as quickly and as surely and as sometimes concerningly as AI. Uh, We were wondering what impact is AI going to have on food, on hospitality? Is it something that we need to be thinking about? To dig into this question, we have futurist Craig Rispin. He's from the Future Trends Group. He's based in Sydney. He's appearing at Fine Food Australia, but we thought this was a great opportunity to grab him for a chat about all things food and tech. Craig, welcome to Dirty Linen. Oh, I'm so excited about this conversation. There's so much happening in the world of AI in every industry, including the food industry. Yeah, well, let's just get right to it. What what are the things that you're seeing in food and do people need to be worried about losing their jobs to AI? No, it doesn't matter what industry, but especially in the food industry. Uh, What I'm saying to, I mostly consult with business leaders and these business leaders across many industries, what I say to them is the future isn't AI instead of jobs. The future is jobs plus AI. So I say to uh, anyone, why don't you get an AI to do a job you don't like doing? So for instance, what if you don't like, oh, I don't know, Let's say that you're a chef and remember all those invoices that are piling up for the food deliveries and you need to get them into zero or something. Well, now there are tools that use artificial intelligence that can scan all of those dirty receipts and invoices and put them straight into zero for you. Yes, there's an AI to do that. And there's all sorts of tools. And so I say to everyone, no, don't fear AI get an AI to do a job that you really don't like doing. And then think about it the other way. How about an AI that would, well, make it look like you have superpowers. So for instance, what if you uh, run a restaurant and it's a free from restaurant? What is a free from restaurant? Well, over the many years that I've been on the talking trends stage at the fine food show, I've just been looking at the exhibitors. I've seen that number of aisles of this giant show, you know, all the exhibitors. They're, they're, um, the first year, 10 years ago, probably now, that I was there, there was probably one aisle of free from, free from gluten, free from uh, nuts, free from uh, dairy, you name it. And last, And it just kept on growing. And now... I wouldn't be surprised if this year it's going to be 40% of the show is free from. So what if you could use AI to design menus for people that are free from uh, all these variables? And it's getting complicated, isn't it? So why wouldn't you use AI to do that? Okay, I've got this. How can I make that with uh, what I've got for those people that need to be any of these kind of free from things? Mm, yeah, I can really see that. And I agree with you. Free from is such a burgeoning category um, and so much crossover with it as well. So I think a lot of producers are thinking, why don't I make these products free from 
all of the um, common allergens. Um, yes, yes. And yeah. you can see that uh, not yet here in Australia, but I know that the supermarkets are working on it because I advise both of the big brands. You would know who they are. And uh, in Tesco in the UK, they have an app on your phone and it's got that free from category. So you can look at all the products based on that free from and I think that next time you go to a restaurant booking app, you're going to have an option for free from uh, restaurants. And it's so complicated. How could you, as a chef, food preparer, um, how could you, you know, make up these menus with all those variables that, you know, it's just, it's mind boggling what, what you would have to do. So I'm thinking that this could be a really exciting uh, opportunity, but there's so many options. And of course, AI is built into a lot of these robots that are co-cooking food with food preparers. Yeah. Well, tell me more about that because I've seen that in, um, let's say, a Korean fried chicken place where there's a robot that's frying the chicken. Having spoken to a business owner of one of those places, they talk about how it's improved staff retention because the robot is the one standing by the fryer um, and the, the human staff um, can do, you know, I guess work that's less tiring, less potentially dangerous. Um, is, I mean, what, do, what are you seeing? Well, I'm seeing what everybody knows, and that is getting staff is a big problem. You just can't get the people. And I say to leaders of these organizations, um, well, what if AI and robotics could uh, st solve your st staffing issue? And it really could, because for instance, there's one restaurant that my uh, partners at uh, the Fine Food Show, uh, so uh, Food Insight, and uh, the uh, Rod, my business partner, Sissel there, they, they were talking and meeting with this owner of this noodle restaurant, and they bought, brought in ro robotic co-chefs, co-chefs, and uh, they're making noodles, and they've reduced the need for staff by 45%. Now, you might say that's eliminating jobs. It's not eliminating jobs if they can't freaking fill them. <laughs> Right. And that's solving a talent issue. And a lot of these robots are doing, as you point out, the jobs that we really don't like doing or shouldn't be doing because they're particularly dangerous. How um, interactive or adaptable are these robots? You know, we've, I, that's so we found one that fries chicken. We found one that makes noodles. If um, somebody's thinking, well, you know, my restaurant uh, makes rice paper rolls or my restaurant grills steak. I mean, are these robots programmable for multiple uses? They are. And especially if the food service uh, person programming it have played video games in the past or currently, because uh, there are systems that can learn from your fingers. So you slip on these gloves a bit like we're going to see in the augmented reality world that Mark Zuckerberg's talking about, the metaverse. And it, you put on these little uh, probes on the tops of your fingers, and there are co-chefs, well, that can uh, essentially record what the chef is doing and record that as a recipe. 
And not only this, uh, it can, you know, do the dishes. And that's what I'm most excited about. Not only can it do the cooking, but it can do the dishes and the cleaning up afterwards. And who wouldn't want a robot that does that? So, yes, adaptable. What you're talking about is a general case robot rather than a specific single-use robot. And we're seeing because of AI... Um, you see, AI is really important in robots to make them not dangerous to humans, because if it's a single-use robot, it, you've probably seen these in auto manufacturing. They literally put them in cages and are in glass because it doesn't know the humans there, and it'll just knock them over and you know potentially kill them. Well, that's a single-use robot that does the same thing over and over and over again perfectly. So what we want are these cobots that work with us so we can push them aside and they, they move aside or get away from us entirely and to be able to get them, you know, if it could swing around and go to one counter and chop some things up and then do the deep frying, maybe do the noodles or pasta, what it might do. And I think that this is really going to be a savior because uh, I'm looking at the numbers. Uh, as a futurist, I look at demographic shifts and immigration and so on. It's because of COVID uh, and we weren't uh, allowing 250,000 people per year immigrate for three, almost three years. Uh, we got a lot of catching up to do, and staffing issue isn't going to go away. I would, we're looking at the numbers. This is just facts. The staffing issue is not going to go away for at least another two and a half, three years. So we're going to be living in this time where, we, where this technology has actually come up right when we need it. And what about the investment that's needed to get some of these cobots onto the, into the kitchen? I mean, I can imagine that they would pay you back over time and that they, you know, never call in sick. But it's a big upfront investment, isn't it? What are people looking well, at? Well, not really. So luckily there are, as you would probably be aware of, here in Australia and around the world, there are organizations that will lease your kitchen equipment. And what we found is the upfront cost was so expensive for robots that they couldn't sell them that way. So they figured out a different way of doing it. And that is on an hourly basis. So as you use them, you pay, let's say, whatever the, uh, the, the award wage is, uh, you know, twenty two fifty for an, a 19 year old, let's say, if it's that's the rate. And uh, so they'll actually lease it to you for twenty two fifty per hour as you use it. And this is I've seen throughout industry, and it's now coming to the food industry, where it's not just a monthly fee, but it's as you use it per uh, cooking hour, let's say. So uh, did you know that when you fly on a Qantas jet, if you fly Qantas still, uh, or other or the other airlines, they don't buy their jet engines anymore because they're horribly expensive. When the plane lands, it connects to Wi-Fi and shows exactly how many flight minutes there were. And then they get sent a bill that gets paid automatically. So that is uh, essentially doing the same thing, but in the food industry. And every robot manufacturer that um, I'm seeing, and uh, when it comes to robots for the food service area, is, has moved to this model of, no, it's not a capital expense, it's an operation expense. Yeah, it's, it's such an interesting space. I can't uh, help but feel, 
there's something lost. There's there's clearly something gained. I mean, what do you think about, you know, the feeling of being surrounded by cobots? Well, I have to say every single ro- ro- um, um, operator that I've interviewed that have brought in robots, their sales have gone up and their turns have gone up and th- they've connected to the community in new ways that they didn't even expect. In Japan, there's a, there's a whole generation of what we they call in I don't know the Japanese term, I'm sorry. They're shut-ins. There are people that are afraid to leave their home or can't leave their home for whatever reason. And because the restaurants there can't get service staff, they connect these shut-ins in the community uh, to these robots with screens who do the food service in the restaurants, just the delivery from the kitchen to the tables. And wow, does that make a difference in those shut-in people's lives? So I'm seeing that it's, you know, drawing different levels of society in as well. And yes, I might be an optimist because I think that this is solving all problems there. It doesn't solve all problems, but it solves the biggest problems we're having right now. And uh, I think that in Australia, we're a little bit behind because, well, frankly, I think people are afraid of it. But once they start down the path, I know every client that I've worked with have gotten their first robot. They turn around and say to me, oh, let's go buy some more. That was fantastic. (laughs) I never expected it could do that. So, um, yeah, I've got many clients. I bump into them and I said, what are you doing? Oh, off to Germany to buy some more robots, Greg. They pay for themselves so quickly. Surely they could fly themselves over as well, but maybe that's next. Um, Craig, what about supply chain efficiencies um, and something that I'm really passionate about, which is reducing Mm. food food waste? Like, are there innovations in AI that can help out there? Oh, of course. And that's for especially in an area that my son, who uh, works in uh, infrastructure in the state of New South Wales and specifically food security and water and, and the like, and he's passionate about vertical farming, and so am I. And so hydroponic and aeroponic, so hydroponic uh, running water across roots, and aeroponic is tiny little spray. So tiny little spray just going on those roots, and it works just as well. It uses 100 times less water. Well, AI is coming to that for how long should the lights be on? How much um, of this spray should be going out there? What should be the mix? And they can see the growth of the plant and it can say, okay, this week we need to increase this or the other thing to encourage growth. And what I'm really excited about is, is some of these local, local, they're like containers that supermarkets have put on some of their roofs around America and in Europe, and especially in Scandinavia, you know, where it gets really cold. But in these containers, they can insulate them. They, the lights heat them naturally because their LED lights do run hot if you've got a lot of them. And what they're seeing is that they can do five or six seasons of growing for seasonal uh, plants, five or six seasons in one season. And they can just go grab that lettuce or whatever it might be, strawberries, tomatoes, out of the container and and package it. And some of the automation from uh, that's all powered by AI now 
for doing this is, you know, you could have one container, you could be growing those things and putting it straight into packaging, uh, reusable packaging, by the way, that you could then take straight from the roof down into the supermarket. Now, we haven't seen this yet in Australia, but it just makes sense to me, doesn't it? Well, I mean, when you think about so many of those suburban supermarkets that are just big flat buildings with flat roofs, then mm. absolutely that makes sense. That's, um, yeah, I did not think you were going to say that. That is, that is really, a, that's an excellent innovation. What, yeah. what about food waste? I mean, I can see there's efficiencies in um, the supply chain with what you're talking about, but are there other ways that, um, that AI can assist in reducing food waste? Oh, yes. Uh, especially when it comes to how we can use that food waste in various ways for generating energy. So spoiled food is a big problem, obviously, when we've got plant life. But that plant life can be turned into energy. And and we've got now tools on our phones that are just remarkable. So there's a Australian startup, and they're using the uh, latest cameras and lights that are built into, let's say, an iPhone 12 or higher. And they can actually look at the molecular fingerprint of the biomass or the gases, in fact, that are coming off. This is so mind-blowing how accurate it is that it's being used in the wool industry right now to look at the quality of a single strand of wool. And a farmer can do this now, and he doesn't have to rely on the person at the auction house to tell him what grade his wool is. He can tell the auction house what grade his wool is, and there's no funny business going on. So there's uh, incredible tools, and that also looks at the molecular fingerprint, uses AI to look at all the existing molecular fingerprints that have been uh, saved up in the cloud, finding one that matches instantly and, and saying, okay, it's this quality wool, or this is how we could use this spoiled food to generate heat, to generate energy, to run the uh, container uh, uh, on top of the roof. And even when it comes to uh, CO2, everybody's talking about what's going into our air. Well, one of the biggest chemical companies in the world, ICL, uh, an Israeli global specialty minerals company knows that they need to transfer their uh, business from the coal and gas industry into other areas. So they've invested uh, 2.75 euros. So let's call that 3.3 million Aussie approximately into a company that will support this uh, one-step fermentation process. So that's what um, is happening to biomasses when they, when they rot. And this bioprocess will create a completely customizable protein ingredients by capturing the greenhouse gases that are created, CO2, and converting it into the 20 progenetic amino acids necessary for human nutrition. Yes, you've heard it here. You can take CO2 out of the air or from a biomass and you can turn it into food. Right. That is quite mind-blowing. So you're using fermentation to transform CO2 into amino, amino acids, acids that yes. yeah. are the building blocks of our food. Yes. And if you want to know more about this, that 
you know, I, I don't try to promote individual companies because uh, the happy news is when I say there's this company doing this, everybody rushes to go and find them. But I should also say there are dozens of companies doing this. There'll be hundreds of companies doing this. But here's one. And that company uh, is, it's uh, Archeon. So it's A-R-K-E-O-N, uh, a German-based uh, organization. If you want to learn more about that very complicated scientific method that's spun out of a university, that's literally turning the CO2 that we're breathing, breathing out or from biomasses into amino acids and eventually into cereals, let's say. Are there other innovations in the alternative protein space that you're pretty excited about? Oh, yes. I'm really excited about non-fish fish and non-fish shellfish because there's so many people that need to be free from shellfish. And the one that I tasted and I really like in, um, in Singapore was a non-shrimp shrimp that's actually made from the uh, kelp, from the seaweed uh, that these... Um, shrimp actually, or prawns, uh, actually eat from the algae. And they've created several different organizations, uh, one in Singapore, and there's one in Monterey Bay in America, California. They've created an alternative to shrimp and to using what the shrimp actually eat. So they're essentially processing it in a factory with no bacteria, no nasties, no shells, and that will allow uh, people who can't eat shellfish to enjoy, uh, you know, prawn meat, uh, shrimp. That's, and, yeah, it's a very mm. interesting cutting out the middleman uh, way of getting protein. I suppose, you know, we're often thinking about the amount of protein that, that wild fish or that cattle or, yeah, whatever kind of ca calories or plant matter, whatever it is that they eat. Uh, and that conversion um, that's often inefficient when an animal does it. Um, so I suppose to be able to, if you can get the nutrition without going through that whole um, life cycle, it's definitely something interesting to think about. Yeah, Whether, it's much more efficient, incredibly. Yeah, yeah many, many thousands of times, I would say, more yeah. efficient. Mm. It's really interesting. I mean, I get excited by this stuff, but I also um, feel a little bit wistful about <laughs> The olden days. Um, of course. <laughs> how do you sort of balance uh, excitement and, I don't know, like a, a nostalgia or, or a clinging to the past, Craig? Well, look, if you look at the market, we're actually already doing that. So we've got these, you know, new higher tech ways of cooking food in our kitchens that consumers didn't have. You know, just 20 years ago, I'm thinking about air fryers and sous vide and, you know, the, the consumer versions of salamanders, you know, uh, grillers uh, in the kitchen now. I've got a microwave that does six completely different things. And when I tell some chefs, oh, I got a microwave that's also a steam oven that's also a griller, they're like, it's a consumer product? I, well, expensive microwave, $600, but it does all those functions. Well, all those functions means that, well, that's a high-tech way to go back to basics. So uh, it means that we can process raw food instead of, well, commercial-grade food in new ways in our kitchen. And uh, isn't it interesting that we're going back to recipes 
in uh, these new kitchen gadgets that grandma made. But instead of, you know, slaving over uh, a, a hot kettle for three and a half hours, I'll give you, for instance, I like to cook some jambalaya. So it's a rice, tomatoes, you know, veggies, uh, shrimp, uh, sausage dish. And if I do this over the stove, it's, you know, uh, many hours. I do it in my pressure cooker. It's six minutes. But the I'm going back to the whole foods that's traditional. It's just done in a new way. And what I say with my clients when they're worried about AI, look, we're not doing this to replace humans or replace talent or replace. It's to amplify human talent and productivity. And uh, we can get this in balance. We don't want it to overcome us. We don't want it to ride over us. We want it to be in balance. And if you're ever worried about AI or robotics uh, taking over, just remember, you can always pull the plug. <laughs> you can always pull the plug. <laughs> you can always shove that cobot aside and grab the fryer yourself. Yes. Wouldn't recommend that. You could burn yourself pretty badly. And for a consumer app that I was going to recommend, that's kind of related to the one that uh, can um, grade milk and it can grade uh, uh uh, wool and fibers and raw fish flesh. It can, I don't know if you know this, but uh, many people in the food industry do know that about 60% of all fish that's sold at retail is involved in fish fraud. It's not the product that you actually uh, bought. And being able to scan uh, and identify where that barramundi came from uh, a farm in Queensland, or rather fed terrible things in Thailand, potentially, uh, that affects the quality of the fish, and, and there could be microplastics uh, in, that, in those fish, we know, and being able to have a scanner like that. But one that is a bit simpler, but I think makes a huge difference in consumers' uh, lives. If you're counting uh, kilojoules or calories, Snap Calorie, it's an app powered by AI, uh, will snap an image of your meal and then attempt, to, uh, based on images, uh, cal calculate the calorie count and micronutrients that are in that dish by a single photo that you take of your meal. And I know nutritionists that used to pay overseas people to figure out what the calorie count was of their clients snapping pictures. And now this is just an, a, a, an app, a service you pay for that costs tens of dollars and uh, a single picture. And it'll go, okay, this is what we think it is. And uh, then they uh, test it and it's about 98, 99% accurate. Oh, that's interesting. And it makes me think about if the source is hidden under the protein, does it, uh, does it know about that as well? But Craig, it does. It's, yeah. um, it does. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, so fascinating to hear what's happening in this space. It um, feels like it's moving at a great pace, but it's great to have you uh, un pull out some of the threads for us today. Um, thank you so much for your time and for sharing your expertise. Really appreciate it. Of course. I just love to help people see what they might not see and be open to trying new ways of being and uh, experience this future that we're all going to be part of. 
and we have to figure out what part we're going to play in it. Love it. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. This is Dirty Linen and I'm Danny Vallant. We air the issues that the hospitality industry finds hard to talk about, hearing from different people with unique perspectives. We want to hear from you as well. If you have something that needs to be said about a topic, get in touch so we can include your perspective. Contact us at dirtylinen at deepintheweeds.com.au or hit us up on Insta at Dirty Linen Podcast. We can't wait to hear from you. This.